Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning section of the November 12th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go ahead and take off into our morning uh, portion here, doing our uh, prayers and devotion and our Bible study reading for this morning. Um, you'll find the links to everything I'm going to read in the show notes as long as well as um, links to where you can get hold of hard copies of Valley of Vision and Spurgeon's Morning and Evening and Legacy Standard Bible, as well as a link to the PDF of Robert Murray McShane's Read the Bible in a Year Plan, which also contains a letter to his congregation explaining about the Bible reading plan. Um, so we will go ahead and get going. Um, if, if you're new to it, to this or um, you listen to it when it was slightly different format, I've shifted the format a little bit. Uh, what we end up doing now is I do a morning section, then I make a clear delineation of where I'm ending the morning section, and then I do an evening section. Um, you're welcome to listen to it straight through if that's your choice. But um, if it's not, you you can listen to the morning section and then end it. That'll usually be about 20 minutes. That can be part of your morning devotion. And then you can listen to the evening section as part of your evening dis- devotion. Either way, totally up to you. You're in control of it. Um, so let's go ahead and get going with our reading. We're going to start this morning, um, with it being the seventh day of the week, we're going to do the seventh day morning prayer and it's God's good pleasure. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives, but O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor, Teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our mind with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are, to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, 
and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right, and now our devotion for this morning. Again, this is the November 12th devotion. That's the morning devotion for November 12th for Spurgeon's morning and evening. The text for it is the trial of your faith. It's 1 Peter 1.7, the trial of your faith. Faith untried may be true faith, but it is sure to be little faith, and it is likely to remain dwarfish so long as it is without trial. Faith never prospers so well as when all things are against her. Tempests are her trainers, and lightnings are her illuminators. When a calm reigns on the sea, spread the sails as you will. The ship moves not to its harbor, for on a slumbering ocean the keel sleeps too. Let the winds rush howling forth, and let the waters lift up themselves. Then, though the vessel may rock, and her deck may be washed with waves, and her mast may creak under the pressure of the full and swelling sail, it is then that she makes headway towards her desired haven. No flowers wear so lovely a blue as those which grow at the foot of the frozen glacier. No stars gleam so brightly as those which glisten in the polar sky. No water tastes so sweet as that which springs amid the desert sand, and no faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs in adversity. Tried faith brings experience. You could not have believed your own weakness had you not been compelled to pass through the rivers, and you would never have known God's strength had you not been supported amid the water floods. Faith increases in solidity, assurance, and intensity. The more it is exercised with tribulation, faith is precious, and its trial is precious too. Let not this, however, discourage those who are young in faith. You will have trials enough without seeking them. The full portion will be measured out to you in due season. Meanwhile, if you cannot yet claim the result of long experience, thank God for what grace you have. You have. Praise Him for that degree of holy confidence whereunto you have attained. Walk according to that rule, and you shall yet have more and more of the blessing of God till your faith shall remove mountains and conquer impossibilities. All right. And now our Bible reading for today. Uh, we'll start in 2 Kings 25. Now in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his military force, against Jerusalem, and he camped, camped against it and built a siege wall all around it. So the city came under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so strong in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Arabah. Then they seized I'm sorry, but the military force of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his military force was scattered from him. Then they seized the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they spoke their judgment on him, and they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then he blinded the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. Now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of Yahweh, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, even every great house he burned with fire. 
So all the military force of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, tore down the walls around Jerusalem. Then the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the defectors who had defected to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took away into exile. But the captain of the guard left, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Now the bronze pillars which were in the house of Yahweh, and the stands, and the bronze sea which were in the house of Yahweh, the Chaldeans shattered and carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the snuffers, the spoons, and all the bronze vessels which were used to minister. The captain of the guard also took away the firepans and the bulls, and the bulls, what was fine gold and what was fine silver, the two pillars, the one sea, and the stands which Solomon had made for the house of Yahweh, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was eighteen cubits, and a bronze bronze capital was on it. The height of the capital was three cubits, with a network and pomegranates on the capital all around, all of bronze, and the second pillar was like these with the network. Then the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, with the three doorkeepers of the temple. And from the city he took one official who was overseer of the men of war, and five of the king's advisers who were found in the city, and the scribe of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and led them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah went into exile from its land. Now as for the people who were left in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Jedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, over them. Then all the commanders of the military forces, they and their men, heard the king of Babylon. Heard, the, heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Jedaliah governor, so they came to Jedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumath, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, the son of the Machathite, they and their men. Then Jedaliah swore to them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama of the royal seed, came with ten men and struck Jedaliah down, so that he died, along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the commanders of the military forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now it happened in the thirty-seventh year of their exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke to him good words, and he set his throne above the throne of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes, and had his meals in the king's presence continually all the days of his life. And for his allowance, a continual allowance was given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. Now Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, 
to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all, was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a, a tenth of the spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them had collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priest. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, such not according to a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed about him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope, through which we draw near to God. And isn't inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much more Jesus also has become the guarantee of a better covenant, and the former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right, and now Amos 1, we're moving on into Amos from Joel. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he beheld in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel two years before the earthquake. 
And he said, Yahweh roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he gives forth his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the top of Carmel dries up. Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will cons- and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. So the people of Aram will go into exile to Kir, says Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because they took away into exile the whole community of exiles to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it will consume her citadels. I will also cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even turn my hand against Ekron. And the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says Lord Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because they delivered up the whole community of exiles to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the walls of Tyre, and it will consume her citadels. Thus yet says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword, while he corrupted his compassion, and his anger also tore continuously, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send fire upon Teman, and it will consume the citadels of Basra. Thus says Yahweh, For three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn back its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah, and it will consume her citadels, amid a loud shout on the day of battle, and a storm on the day of tempest. And their king will go into exile, he and his princes together, says Yahweh. And finally, Psalm 144. Blessed be Yahweh my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. O Yahweh, what is man that you know him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. O Yahweh, bow your heavens and come down, touch the mountains that they may smoke, flash forth lightning and scatter them, send out your arrows and confuse them, send forth your hand from on high, set me free and deliver me out of many waters, out of the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks worthlessness, and whose right hand is a right hand of lying. O God, I will sing a new song to you upon a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises to you who give salvation to kings, who sets David his servant free from the evil sword. Set me free and deliver me out of the hand of the sons of a foreigner, whose mouth speaks worthlessness, and whose right hand is a right hand of lying. That our sons would be as grown-up plants in their youth, and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace, that our greeneries would be full, furnishing every kind of produce, and our flocks would bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields outside, that our cattle would bear, without mishap and without loss, and without outcry in our streets. How blessed are the people for whom this is so, 
How blessed are the people for whom God is Yahweh. All right, that is our reading for this morning. Um, I hope you go on to have a wonderful day. Um, I would continue to encourage you and implore you that you do everything you do today for the glory of God. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, the prayer that we're going to close with is another one from Valley of Vision. It's called The Cry of a Convicted Sinner. Thou righteous and holy sovereign, in whose hand is my life and whose are all my ways, keep me from fluttering about religion. Fix me firm in it, for I am irresolute. My decisions are smoky and vapor, are smoke and vapor, and I do not glorify thee or behave according to thy will. Cut me not off from before my thought. Sorry, cut me not off before my thoughts grow to responses, and the budding of my soul into full flower. For thou art forbearing and good, patient and kind. Save me from myself, from the artifices and deceits of sin, from the treachery of my perverse nature, from denying thy charge against my offenses, from a life of continual rebellion against thee, from wrong principles, views, and ends. For I know that all my thoughts, affections, desires, and pursuits are alienated from me. I have acted as if I hated thee, although thou art love itself, have contrived to tempt thee to the uttermost, to wear out thy patience, have lived evilly in word and action. Had I been a prince, I would long ago have crushed such a rebel. Had I been a father, I would long since have rejected my child. O thou father of my spirit, thou king of my life, cast me not into destruction, drive me not from, my, from thy presence, but wound my heart that it may be healed. Break it that thine own hand may make it whole. Amen. All right. Again, that is our reading for this morning. This is the end of the morning section. Again, I hope you have a wonderful day and God willing, we'll see you back this evening. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good evening and welcome to the evening portion of the Saturday, November 12th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. We're going to go ahead and get right into our reading and our message for the evening. So um, our opening prayer, we're, since it is Saturday, it's Lord's Day Eve, we're going to do the Lord's Day Eve prayer to open this evening. All right. All right. Um, sorry, let me... Get over and select the right thing. Okay, Lord's Day Eve. Out of the passing hour, another week has gone, and I have been preserved. In my going out, in my coming in, thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. 
thine the means of grace which have edified me, thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest, that in all successes one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared. While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 12th. The text for it is, and it came to pass, it's Luke 6, 12, sorry. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. If every one of woman born might have lived without prayer, it was our spotless, perfect Lord. And yet none was ever so much in supplication as he. Such was his love to his father that he loved much to be in communion with him such his love for his people that he desired to be much in intercession for them. The fact of his imminent prayerfulness of Jesus, I'm sorry, the fact of this imminent prayerfulness of Jesus is a lesson for us. He hath given us an example that we may follow in his steps. The time he chose was admirable. It was the hour of silence, when the crowd would not disturb him, the time of inaction, when all but himself had ceased to labor and the season when slumber made men forget their woes and cease their application to him for relief. While others found rest and sleep, he refreshed himself with prayer. The place was also well selected. He was alone where none would intrude, where none could observe. Thus was he free from pharisaic ostentation and vulgar interruption. Those dark and silent hills were a fit oratory for the Son of God. Heaven and earth in midnight stillness heard the groans and sighs of the mysterious being in whom both worlds were blended. The continuance of his pleadings is remarkable. The long watches were not too long. The cold wind did not chill his devotions. The grim darkness did not darken his faith, or loneliness check his importunity. We cannot watch with him one hour, but he watched for us whole nights. The occasion for this prayer is notable. It was after his enemies had been enraged. Prayer was his refuge and solace. It was before he sent. Sorry, it was. It was before he sent forth the twelve apostles. Prayer was the gate of his enterprise, the herald of his new work. Should we not learn from Jesus to resort to special prayer when we are under peculiar trial or contemplate fresh endeavors for the Master's glory? Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. All right. Of course, I forgot to put my headphones back on when I started recording this evening. All right, so we're going to get into it. We're going to continue with our study in Ephesians. Um, we've been working through Ephesians 5, and we're now, um, and we've been working through this walk of wisdom, which is Ephesians 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. So we're going to finish verse 17 today. Um, 
So I'll go ahead and read them for verses 15, 16, and 7. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So as we've watched, as we've worked through this last, this sec, this practical application section of Ephesians, the last half of it, um, chapters four through six, we've, we've seen this worthy walk. We've seen the characteristics of this worthy walk. We've seen the different parts of this walk that it, that, that this is made of. Um, and we've seen a couple of different ones and I'm not going to run back through all of them because I've done that the last couple of nights. Um, but you know, that's the thing is we hit chapter five, we we've hit the walk of love. We've hit the walk of light, um, and being children of light. And now we're talking about the walk of wisdom. And we talked a couple of nights ago about the careful walk being part of that walk of wisdom. And then we talked about redeeming the time last evening, which is a, a, another part of that walk of wisdom. So what we're talking about tonight is understanding what the will of the Lord is. That is, that is another characteristic of that walk of wis, wisdom, understanding what the will of the Lord is. So let's look at the first part of this, um, of this verse, verse 17. So our key verse is verse 17 today. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the section on account of this, this is another phrase that's like a therefore. It's referring back to the previous verses. So it's going back and saying, okay, because we're walking, we have to, we're walking carefully for that walk of wisdom. And because we're redeeming our time, because the days are evil, do not be foolish. It's saying because of these things, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's because of these other things. Um, and it actually goes all the way back because of this worthy walk, this different, this unified walk, this different walk, this walk of love, this walk of light and this walk of wisdom and these first characteristics, we cannot be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and, you know, and when, remember we were talking about with foolishness, that the representation here between being wise and a fool being wise means we are closer to God. We are walking close to God. Being foolish is walking further away from God. So it's saying because of all these things, we can't be separated from God. We can't be, be, um, walking in a further distance from God, but we have to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's, that's what this verse is saying. Um, but so in understanding what the will of the Lord is, I, I'm going to ask kind of a rhetorical question. What do we have to do to understand what the will of the Lord is? Now, I'm sorry, there, there are people running around out there right now that are claiming that God is explicitly talking to them and sending them new revelations. Um, I, uh, there's a well-known uh, woman teacher that has talked about that, that, that God came to her and told her to go out to some, to some bus bench and brush some homeless guy's hair. I'm sorry. We have all the revelation we need from God, all the revelation he intended for us to have in one place. You know what that place is? It's in the scriptures. Any new revelation, if it's true, it will directly jibe with scripture. It will, it will directly reflect what's in scripture. Therefore, why do we need it? Why do we need new if we already have it? 
if it doesn't walk straight along with scripture, then it's garbage and it's of the devil. There's nowhere in the scripture where it talks about going out to some park bitch and brushing some guy's hair. And claiming that as a direct word of God is heretical. That's fact. So where do we go? Where do we go to get it? We go to the word of God. We don't sit there. It's, it's, um, and I can't remember who it is who said it, but it was a beautiful quote. Um, when they said, if you want to hear God speak to you, read the scriptures. If you want to hear God speak audibly to you, read the scriptures out loud. <laughs> you know, that's it. The scriptures are God speaking to us, speaking to us through Christ, speaking to us through all the different authors throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. That's that's what we're doing. That That's how he speaks to us. But to understand his will, it's not enough just to, just to cover it when the pastor preaches it on a Sunday morning, just to cover it in a Bible study. We've got to be about studying it constantly. We've got to be about being constantly in the word, saturating ourselves in the word. We've got to be about that. And we've got to take the example of the early church. Um, the early church, Acts 2, um, this is down in, um, where are we? Here we go. Um, so verses 41. So Peter preached that first major sermon there in Acts 2. And so we, they hit the end um, of that and of course the, the, the folks around were just so convicted. Um, and they go to, they turn to Peter and the rest of the apostles goes, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy spirit. And, and he goes on for the promise is for you and your children for, and for all who are far off as many as the Lord, our God will call to himself. When he's talking to far off, he's talking to those that are separated for God, those, those who are not yet saved, the promises for them. And it goes on. And with many other words, he solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this crooked generation. Then it goes on to about 3000 were baptized and were saved. But then it goes on. So this is Acts 2, verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Okay, to the apostles' teaching. Did you get that? Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's not, the Greek behind there is not talking about getting together one day a week or getting together two days a week. It's talking about continually, daily, constantly throughout the day. Now, it's not saying that they were shirking their responsibilities and ignoring their jobs or any of that, but but the implement the the indi sorry the indication here is that they are giving every bit of free time they can scrape up to be in the Word of God. I, how can we not follow that example? I mean, it's giving us a clear example of this is where we've got to be. This is how we know the will of the Lord. This is why they were doing that. Um, you know, and it goes on. And, and all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property. So it talks about the selling the property, which, of course, people try to twist and go, oh, Jesus was a socialist. No, these were people who were voluntarily giving their stuff, not being coerced or bullied into doing it. Um, but again, so... 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. We see it again, Acts 5. Um, um, there we go. 
um, Acts 5. This is this is after um, John and Peter have been beaten and everything else. And actually one of the, um, I think it was actually Gamaliel, had gotten up and because they were they were going to try, they were talking about killing him um, in the assembly. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, if this is of God, you're going to come in direct conflict of God. And if it's not a God, it's going to die out anyways. So his thing was like, just leave them alone. So verse 41 there. So Acts 5, verse 40, 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his, for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So if they're continuously teaching and proclaiming the good news, people are sitting there continuously learning the teaching and the good news. Okay? You got to understand, they, they don't have it in print yet like we do. So this is how it's being conveyed, but it's the same thing continuously. They did not cease teaching and proclaiming good news. The implication there is they're doing it constantly. They're doing it daily. They're doing it multiple times a day. They're doing it throughout Jerusalem, teaching everybody, these apostles in the early church. So, and, and even, even another example, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the old Testament here. So this is during the reign of King Hezekiah and, um, Judah. And he had re-implemented, um, trying to follow after his father and straighten things up because his father really hadn't done a good job yet. And he re-implemented um, the, uh, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we hit verse 21 here. So the celebration has started. And the sons of Israel present in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm sorry. So it's, um, what is it? Second Chronicles 30. Starting in verse 21. I'll start in verse 21. And the sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised Yahweh day after day with loud instruments to Yahweh. Then Hezekiah spoke to the hearts of all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of Yahweh. So they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings, offerings and giving thanks to Yahweh, the God of their father. Then the whole assembly took counsel to determine to celebrate the feast another seven days. So they celebrated the seven days with gladness. So again, they had already met the requirement for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I know you're sitting there going, okay, feast, how does that have anything to do with, um, with being in the Word of God? For them, it was the same thing. Part of that feast is them being preached to and taught to by the priests by the Aaronic priesthood and by the, Levi the the Levites. That was part of that. And it had been such an assembly. They continued it even further. They had such diligence and such fire and zeal for God that they continued it. So we've got to be in the word of God. But of course the question is, okay, well, why? I've, I've read it once. Why? Or, or I've read it here or there, or I've been taught it here or there. Why? Well, all you have to do to answer that question is go to 2 Timothy 3, go to the end of it, verse 15 through 17. Paul is talking to Timothy and he's talking to him about the, the training that he's had. So verse 15, uh, actually I'll go verse 14. 
But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you, childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped, for every good work. That's how you know God's will. You're in the word. That's why. Because the scripture tells you that. And for anybody who's put the time in, you learn very quickly that every time you go back over a set of verses, more stuff pops out. I'm not talking you make up stuff, but more stuff just is exposed to you. The Holy Spirit works even deeper in you. And as you mature more and more, you draw more and more from the way you get more and more understanding of our Lord's will. So we must be in it constantly. We, we will not mature if we do not stay in the word. And if we do not stay in the word, we are not going to know the will of our Lord. We're not going to know it. And we're called to do it. That's the only way we can walk in wisdom. Um, and it is critical that we know the will of our Lord. And Jesus is our great example for that. He shows us that himself. Um, John five, verse 19, um, the Jews asking him about, um, asking Jesus about himself. And Jesus basically shows his equality with, with the father. But part of it is showing that he's directly, um, cognizant and directly, um, focusing on the will of the father. And he goes on, therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing from himself unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, these things, the, the son also does in the same manner. So he does what the father does. He does what the father tells him to do. But you go on, um, I believe it's verse 30. Yeah, I can do nothing from myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus makes it clear that we're here to do the will of the Father. And the only way we can understand the will of the Father is if we're in, in the Word or, and, I should say, and, as Spurgeon's morning and evening, the evening devotion spoke of in prayer. We've got to spend our time in the word and in prayer, in the word and in prayer. If we're not in those, then we're not seeking the will of our father. Then we are not walking wise. So we are not walking worthy. Therefore, we're not walking the walk of sanctification. And how dare we, how dare we try to put on the mantle of Christian, the name of Christian, and then walk our own way and walk like this world around us. I'm sorry. It's like I spoke of yesterday, last evening, I should say. Like I spoke of last evening. If we walk like the world, we are walking in the culture of death. We are walking in the cu culture and we're being tacitly participating. We're being tacit, tacit participants. Excuse me. I didn't say that very well. Tacit participants in the murder of the unborn and the mutilation of children who have no ability to choose correctly to deal with all this sex and gender and perversion. 
And we are tacit participants in a society that instead of trying to help people grow and mature and deal with emotional issues, we encourage them to die instead, even as teenagers. That's not this worthy walk. That's not this walk of unity. That's not this different walk. That's not the walk of love. It's not the walk of light that shows the fruit of the children of light. And it's not the walk of wisdom. It's not knowing the Lord's will. If we're wandering around and we look just like them, there's absolutely no excuse for us to do that. None whatsoever. And don't get me wrong. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I, we are still fleshly. We, we still struggle with the fleshly. And we're able to just struggle with it instead of practice it because we have been given a new heart. But we do still struggle with it because we don't have our glorified bodies yet. And so it can be very, very hard to resist walking like those around us, walking daily like them and looking like them. But we are the ecclesia. We are the set-apart ones. We are to look like Christ and Christ only. We are to look like God and God only. And yeah, I can say those both and then be both correct because Christ is God incarnate. We are to look like them only. And to do so, we must walk in wisdom. And to walk in wisdom, we must know the will of our Lord. And the only way we know the will of our Lord is to be diligent in constantly being in the Word of God, which is the only place He speaks to us, and in prayer. We have got to be about those. And we have the ability. He's given us that ability. We have the Holy Spirit. I keep telling you that. We have the paraclete. We have the helper. That's exactly why Christ said, I need to go, when He was telling the apostles. I need to go so the Holy Spirit can come and work with you, work through you to bring this about. He's there. That, that's been promised to us. And God does not miss his promises. Christ does not miss his promises. They don't, they don't mispromise us. They don't lie to us. The helper's there. And we can do it. You and I can do it. And we must do it. Because God has commanded that it be done. And God's commands do not come back void. So we can do it. We are guaranteed success in doing this. That is God's great love for us, that he commands us to do it and gives us the way to do it. So we've got to be about spending more time in the word and in prayer. So I would beg you, I know it's hard, but I would beg you, please, please turn off the TV Put down the remote. Only take a little bit of time with your hobbies and open your Bible and spend time in it and spend time on your knees in prayer. Spend more time and do it daily. Yes, we are commanded to do it daily. And I would beg you to do it daily. And I pray daily that I would do it and do it more. Because the only way we walk truly as children of God 
is if we know the will of God and thus walk in wisdom. All right. Thank you. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, I hope it helps to equip you and prepare you. Uh, let's go ahead and close out for this evening. We're going to close with our seventh day evening prayer. It's called future blessing. Oh Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin. Soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly, ingratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee, wait upon thee and keep thy way, be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet, live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life, Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments, if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its, mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside while we worship thee. May we know the blessedness of men whose strength is in thee and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right, you have a great rest of your evening. I hope you sleep well, and God willing, we'll see you back tomorrow morning, and I would definitely, definitely uh, encourage you, please be in church. Please be in church and worship with the saints. That's a command to all of us, and we must obey. All right, have a great evening. God bless. Mm -hmm.